In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I, uh, I've got to ask, in light of the weather, how many of you were tempted to skip church this morning? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I thought as much, uh, and there's probably, those are the honest folks. Um, but it is good to see you here. Temptations, they mark and define our lives, even when they are not acted on. From small, benign itches to life-altering enchantments, our temptations mold and shape us. They compel us in our experience of lack and desire. Even when they are not acted upon, Temptations become the, the geography and the obstacles of our lives. If we take the meaning of the biblical story seriously, then estrangement and alienation from the source of our own being is the principal and number one human problem. The Christian tradition calls this estrangement sin. And sin can manifest itself in a variety of forms, such as pride, fear, hatred, or ignorance. Sin is the wound in our souls and in our psyches, a wound that we try to remedy through a variety of means. But the fact is, is that many of these remedies only make the problem worse. And yet, these remedies, these temptations, call to us nonetheless. Even when we know that a remedy won't heal us, when a temptation won't heal us, it calls to us. Maybe especially when we know it won't heal us, it calls to us. Our desire to bind up this wound is just that strong. And Jesus is no stranger to this reality. When Jesus emerges from the waters of baptism, he is immediately sent into the wilderness. In his baptism, Jesus has said yes to God the Father. But every yes must also bring with it a shadow. Every yes to one thing is also a saying no to something else. So near the end of his time in the wilderness, the devil comes to Jesus. And after 40 days of not eating, Jesus is famished. The first temptation seems pretty reasonable, like no temptation at all. Jesus is hungry, and surely succumbing to this temptation harms no one. What's a little stones, a few stones turned into bread? But the temptation is doubly pronged. First, it is set up as a proof. Prove your identity, the devil says. If you are the Son of God, 
then turn these stones into bread. Do this deed of power and prove the voice that you heard in your baptism right, that you are the Son of God. But the devil is also encouraging him to use his power to satisfy his own needs and desires. The devil invites Jesus to use his own power for his own survival and his own use, not for the benefit of others. And so Jesus responds by quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, one does not live by bread alone. And in doing so, Jesus names obedience to and dependence upon God as being of number one importance in our lives. Jesus is saying, in point of fact, one can starve if one only has bread. We can have all the bread in the world, Jesus is saying, all the possessions that money can buy, and yet we can be spiritually dead at the same time. Elsewhere, Jesus will ask, what does it profit one to gain the whole world and lose one's soul? But the devil being thwarted once doesn't give up there, does he? Instead, the, the devil responds with some scripture to quotes of his own, and he whisks Jesus away to the pinnacle of the temple. The devil takes Jesus up there and, and invites Jesus to use his power for his own popularity and success. Imagine how renowned Jesus could have become right out of the gate if Jesus had done, had, had done some sort of dramatic act of proof, like flinging himself from the pinnacle of the temple and then being rescued by angels. But here, the, the devil is inviting Jesus to use his closeness to God as a means of using God for his own ends. The devil looks to tempt Jesus towards an idolatry, where he would turn God into a, a means and a tool to achieve success and prestige. Of course, Jesus resists the temptation to use God as a tool to meet his own agenda. Well, having been thwarted twice, the devil then comes back to Jesus for the real crux of the matter. The, the devil invites Jesus to worship the devil in order to establish a political empire grounded in the world's ways of violence and domination. To worship the devil in this sense is to worship the devil's means of control and dominion. Violence becomes a form and means of idolatry that Jesus always intentionally resists. He never uses violence to destroy anyone, not even here, not even against the devil. If even Jesus could find no just use for violence, then all violence is called deeply into question. And having been thwarted three times, the devil leaves, and Jesus is left in the care of the angels. So, okay, obviously this is heavy stuff, right? 
The devil's temptations that he offers to Jesus seem out of our league, don't they? I don't think any of us are are truly tempted by world domination. Well, maybe. (laughs) At least most of you, right? Yeah. We may not be tempted by world domination, but, okay, let's face it. Let's look at this, this list of what Jesus is being tempted toward. And having listened to this list, I wonder if you find yourself on there somewhere. Jesus is being tempted by the desire for security, for self-satisfaction, for prestige, for success, for power, for domination, tempted to use violence to achieve his own ends. Jesus says no to the grip of these temptations in order to say yes to God. Or rather, it would be better to say that in saying yes to God, Jesus must also say no to those powers that would look to displace God and assert themselves as master. But these are not just temptations that beset the Messiah. I believe that these are our temptations too. Look at the, at the sort of acts our, our society justifies in the name of security. Look at what sort of violence we perpetuate and allow in our name. Look, look at how our culture sacrifices human beings and the environment in the name of economic growth that primarily benefits only a few. Look at how we exist in a social order where some individuals and institutions operate above the law and above accountability. The temptation is always to make concessions in the name of pragmatism or in the name of the greater good. We make peace with oppression and violence in the the hopes that it will bring us safety. We make peace with environmental degradation and destruction in the name of comfort and ease and security. But in doing so, What are we saying yes to? And to whom are we saying no? Jesus goes into the wilderness to be radically exposed. There is simply no safety or security for him there. He gets no guarantees. And his time of exposure, it does not end when he emerges from the desert. He remains exposed and vulnerable his whole life. His whole mission puts him in danger. But Jesus can risk in this way because he has said yes to God. Jesus can gamble in this way because he knows that his ultimate security and ultimate desires will only be met and found in God. Jesus can say no to those powers that look to degrade and destroy because he knows 
that those powers will not have the final word and that their means are not ultimate. There are no guarantees in this life. By the mere fact that we exist, we are vulnerable and fragile. And frankly, being a follower of Jesus might only make us more vulnerable. When Jesus says that his followers must take up their cross and follow him, he is telling them that they need to embody his path of self-giving love with the knowledge that they will be exposed, that they will be vulnerable. And yet, like Jesus, as we walk the path of self-giving love, we are called to embody a greater good and a greater hope. And we can walk that path because we know, just like Jesus, that our security and fulfillment can only be in God. The Christian journey is then a journey of faith where we learn to live without guarantees. Christian faith is a school where we learn that our true strength and our true security comes from learning to be vulnerable in self-giving love. Jesus shows us today to whom we must say yes and how that yes also brings with it a no. Let us look to follow Christ and say yes to God and no to those forces that would look to corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. And here's the thing. The thing is, is that ultimately, we can say yes to God because God has already said yes to us in Jesus Christ. For Jesus has gone ahead of us, and Jesus has paved the way. We can trust that we do not walk alone, but rather it is God's love and grace and mercy that empowers us as we walk with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, and so since God has said yes to us, let us say yes to God. Amen.